We've studied the beginning of the split kingdom. Remember the glory that we saw as David turned the kingdom over to Solomon, the beauty of the work that he accomplished, the building of the temple, the establishment of the worship at that location where God's presence, His glory was manifested, where He promised that He would receive their worship. And we saw the sad end of that very beginning of glorious, beautiful heaven on earth. It must have been what it felt like. Heaven on earth. They, they ruled the world. They were the military superpower. They had all the wealth. They had the wisest king. They had everything that they could possibly have wanted. And then they lost it. In fact, they didn't even have each other anymore. The kingdom was split in two. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And so we've studied that first king. Of course, the confusion. Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Who can ever remember which one is which? I saw that hand. You remember which one's the northern kingdom king? Rehoboam. Is she right? No, you corrected it. <laughs> okay. It's hard to get straight, isn't it? Well, Rehoboam is who we're going to study today. Jeroboam is the northern kingdom of Israel. Maybe if I had given you a little bit more of a hint, Israel is the one in the north. Jeroboam was up there. And we, we read about the start of his rule, how he got the kingdom and his immediate disobedience and beginning to lead the people into idolatry by setting up golden calves. We know things are going to go badly in the northern kingdom. But Jerusalem, the city of God, the temple, the southern kingdom has a lot going for it. Judah, The tribe of David, his son on the throne. Hopefully, things will turn around up there. This punishment, this discipline from the Lord will lead the people to true repentance. And there will be a resurrection, a renewal of this glorious kingdom. And so we read in verse 21, Now Rehoboam, the son of Solomon reigned in Judah. Things are starting out good, right? Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen from all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. Yeah, things are going to be okay up down here. Up on the mount. Of Jerusalem, the city of our God. And his mother's name was Naama the Ammonitess. Have you ever read a more foreboding sentence? Maybe you don't realize it, 
But that sentence is kind of like when the movie music changes to a minor key suddenly. Or when, you know, dun dun dun, the organ starts playing. And you realize, oh, oh no. Really? His mother was an Ammonitess? Our passage begins and ends with that statement. Both in verse 21 and in verse 31, Rehoboam slept with his fathers. So we, in just 10 verses, 11 I guess, read of his whole rule quickly, summarized at the beginning and at the end. He was buried with his fathers in the city of David and his mother's name was Naama, the Ammonitess. So our passage begins and ends with this sad and meaningful fact. Why is it sad? Why is it meaningful? The Israelites were not allowed to marry people of the land like the Ammonites. Solomon, as we've already studied, had turned aside to idol worship. But how, if you remember, it was because of his wives that were foreigners that he had married who had turned him aside to the idols of the nations, like the gods of the Ammonites. Women like Naama the Ammonitess, who Solomon was not to marry, these were the ones who had led him astray into idolatry, into false worship. And these surely of all the sons that Solomon had. The sons of these foreign women should not have been the ones to be placed on the throne. Yet Solomon puts his son Rehoboam, whose mother was an Ammonitess, on the throne. Sounds like a disaster waiting to happen, and it was. It was a disaster. Things started out well, like with Solomon. The first three years, we read in Second Chronicles, were good. First three years. Partly because of how quickly Jeroboam went bad, Rehoboam ends up getting all the God-fearing Levites out of Israel. What a gift this was. Let's read that <clears throat> from 2 Chronicles 11, 14 through 17. It says, For the Levites left their pasture lands and their property and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had excluded them from serving as priests to the Lord. He set up priests for his of his own for the high places, 
for the satyrs and for the calves which he had made. Those from all the tribes of Israel who set their hearts on seeking the Lord God of Israel followed them to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. They strengthened the kingdom of Judah and supported Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, for three years. For they walked in the way of David and Solomon for three years. But it was only a brief time, wasn't it? By the time five years comes, we've read that the borrowed spiritual leadership has only lasted a very short time. Verse 22, it says, The people of Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy more than all that their fathers had done with the sins which they committed. We read something similar about the northern kingdom, about the Israelites at that time. They'd gone further. They'd done worse things even than the people of the land. In this case, it says that they'd provoked the Lord to jealousy more than all that their fathers had done. Their fathers had provoked the Lord to jealousy at various times. If you go back and you read the history of the Jews through the Exodus, through the time of the judges, you realize that there had been a lot of times where the people had been troublesome, let's, let's say. Troublesome. And not just causing trouble, but they had begun to worship false gods and they had provoked the Lord to jealousy. But now here, to whom much is given, much will be required. Much will be expected. And so although the people in the past had turned to foreign gods, the very ones that God had warned them, To avoid, not to make, not to have anything to do with those people, to prevent themselves from being corrupted, to keep themselves clean. And and remember that many of the laws that the people were following at that time were ceremonial laws that were meant to impress upon them the necessity of cleanliness, of keeping themselves unstained from the world. So what they could eat and what they could wear Their day-in, day-in life was meant to be other, separated, holy, set apart, and different from everybody else so that they would remember to stay separate. And yet they, they mixed, and they didn't stay separate, and they began to worship, and God's anger and jealousy were provoked. They'd been given great things. They'd been given His law. They'd been given the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. They'd been given the glory of the Lord 
shone in his majesty and his, and his power on the mount. They had seen in the face of Moses as it shone with the glory of the Lord. And that's ignoring all of the miracles. The defeat of the Egyptians. Leading them out of the land. The ten plagues before that. Feeding them every day in the wilderness. So many amazing things that they had been given. And yet, here now at this time, they had been given much more. They not only had all of that in their history, they also had the temple itself. No longer just the tabernacle, no longer a displaced people. They had been given the kingdom. They had been given the city of God and the temple for the Ark of the Covenant to rest in. They had been given gold. They had been given power. They've been given more. And so their turn to idolatry provoked the Lord more than even their fathers had. Lord our God is a jealous God. This is not something scandalous to say. It is essential to us knowing God. If you do not know that God is jealous, you do not know God. He will not abide you worshiping other gods. He will not abide you serving anybody but Him. And that includes yourself. He will not allow for anybody else to receive the glory except for Himself. He is a jealous God. And so when they provoke the Lord to jealousy, what, what it's saying is they had given up God. They'd given up worshiping Him. They'd given up giving Him the glory. And in his jealousy, he turns away from them. And that's what we see in this sad, short passage. What a symbol of the loss it is when Egypt comes. Egypt, the ones that they had been freed from. Egypt, the ones that they had plundered. As they left. When they left Egypt, what did they take with them? The treasures of the kingdom. Ask your neighbors for their gold, their silver, their jewels as you're leaving. And so they did. And what did they take with them? Everything. They took it all. And now, having started this kingdom 
so many years ago by the plundering of the Egyptians. Now here the Egyptians return and plunder them. And they take away the gold. They take away the gold, beautiful shields. You remember from our study the Oh man, the glory of Solomon's kingdom. The gold. Can you imagine just those shields? Well, we're not able to see them anymore. They've been plundered. They've been taken. People did evil in the sight of the Lord. What did they do? They built for themselves, verse 23, high places, sacred pillars, an asherim on every high hill and beneath every luxuriant tree. Luxuriant trees are a gift, aren't they? How many of you have a, a nice, luxuriant, mature tree that's your favorite. Anybody have a favorite favorite tree? All right. Not everybody cares so much about trees as my wife. She's got particular trees that she's that that one. How many of you have ever just wanted to Lie there in the shade under a tree and just stay there because it's so restful, peaceful. I've done that. Matter of fact, when we lived in Indianapolis, we had a great big sycamore tree smack in the center of our backyard. It was not a big yard, so the, it dominated. Whole backyard was in shade because of this tree. And I remember when Tate was probably two years old, walking out on our back patio, and there he was just lying in the grass, arms and legs spread out, staring straight up through the leaves at the sky. He just stayed there. You guys understand there are places, there are things we love, right? Things that are delightful, that are gifts from the Lord. The high places. We go on a hike and climb up to the top and maybe there's a nice big tree at the top. That's, that's pretty cool. But maybe there's not. But you get to the top and what do you see? You, you look out. You see the beauty of God's creation. You rest at the top of the hill. And what do you do? Do you worship God? Do you give Him the glory? King Nebuchadnezzar, later on, of course, goes up to the top of his palace. That's what I'm looking for. His palace. His castle, probably not a castle. And uh, 
his man-made hill, and he looks out over his kingdom, and he says, ah, look at what I have built. And it provokes God's jealousy. Many, many people love to go out into the forest, go out fishing, go out and spend time in nature, particularly on a Sunday morning when you can really relax, right? I worship God in the forest. I worship God on the lake. I worship God in the high places. What are we actually worshiping? What do we actually love? This is what we have to ask ourselves. I think one of the keys to helping you answer it is, what do you take with you to the top of the hill? When you're ready to relax, what do you take with you to your easy chair where you can luxuriate in the air conditioning? It's sometimes hard for us to understand. I, I'm, I'm, bringing, I'm bringing their culture, the history, a time period that we're not part of forward to today, right? We still understand the beauty of a tree. We still understand the love of going up on a hill. And yeah, all that stuff still remains. But you got to remember, we're talking about a time before air conditioning, right? We're talking about a time before electricity. Where do you go to relax? You might go to your easy chair. They'd go sit under a nice tree in the shade, right? What do you take with you? Might look like this. Bring your palantir with you in your pocket. And what do you do while you're relaxing? What is it that you worship? What is it that you love? What is it that you find glorious, that you give yourself over to, that you love to spend your time on, your energy? You know, have you ever known someone who is so heavenly minded they were no earthly good? They'd do something like go on a hike and sit under a tree and pull out a Bible. What a party pooper. Like making everybody else feel like they're not holy. Making everybody else feel guilty. Yeah, I'm being sarcastic. I should be more direct, right? What a glorious thing to love the word of the Lord. To give ourselves to meditating on it day and night. When we are 
pleasantly planted like a tree beside still waters, under a tree, should we not be delighting on his law? What is it that we worship? We have been planted richly in this nation, haven't we? We have been given such great gifts by God. We have power that is unimaginable. No worries of invasion. No fears of running out. Of what? Of anything. The supply chain worries have been like, oh man, prices are going up. I mean, really. That, that feels like a big deal to us, right? We have so much. I might have to wait. Weeks. Weeks. To get my next order. My favorite. Whatever. In many ways, our nation is much like the nation of Judah at this time. We've been granted gifts from the Lord that are truly wonderful. And yet we have, rather than turning to the Lord in worship, been tempted by all of the, the nice places and the nice things to start worshiping nice gods. That'll give us more pleasure. This is pleasant. Let's seek more pleasant. More pleasure. And what could be more pleasurable than sex? Let's get some prostitutes. That's where it goes next. And this is truly what worship, apart from God, always becomes. I mentioned that last week. We seek the ultimate pleasures of the gifts of God's creation, and we begin to worship the creation rather than the Creator. And is it any surprise? Read the book of Ecclesiastes and you see the various things that people begin to serve as Solomon, that wise king, writes about all of the ways that worshiping those things is vanity, meaningless, so utterly pointless. And yet, they are what we seek, they're what we serve. And has our nation escaped having male cult prostitutes in the land? No. It's still shocking to many, but they're here, aren't they? I want you to understand that's what 
we are objecting to. When we say that there shouldn't be celebrations of pride in the library or the public school with reading hour with a male cult prostitute leading the worship. You understand? It's not some sort of nameless values or morality. It's a question of what God do we serve? Who do we worship? By the fifth year of Rehoboam's reign, God had allowed the Egyptians to plunder Jerusalem. And we know that God is gracious and merciful, but we also know that from this moment on, it's not looking good. God is going to remove the people of Judah from the land the same as he removed the people of Canaan from the land. Because the Jews are doing the same things as the Canaanites did. The glory has departed. The gold is gone. The shields are made of bronze now. The true worship of the Lord is no longer being sought by his people. They've forgotten him and turned to worship other gods. They've given themselves to sexual immorality. They've sought after the pleasures of this life rather than seeking after his holiness. But they don't want to acknowledge the loss. They don't want to acknowledge the loss. They don't want to acknowledge what they've become. They want to pretend like everything is still fine and like God's favor is still on them. And isn't this what we try to do? Spiritually, we see the great deeds and wonderful things our fathers have done. And we want to be associated with that. Right? Has your father done marvelous things for God's kingdom? Certainly, Rehoboam's father had. We want to be associated with it, right? We want to have the blessings that come from it, with it. But the glory has departed. There are no more golden shields. So what do we do? We build some bronze ones. Something that we can, you know, I've still, I've still got what it takes. And, and then we make even more of a show of them. We begin to march them around. These things that don't even compare, right? That aren't the real thing. If we're not truly worshiping the Lord, if we aren't giving ourselves to him, these things are meaningless, right? Bronze shields, come on. 
compared to gold? My grandfather, Joe Bailey, wrote a story one time about this. Just trying to bring it conceptually forward to today. He spoke of a Christian, young Christian man going off to college. He had these precious golden shields. And then you know what he did? He, he lost them. As he slowly lost his faith, as he slowly was unfaithful and sinful, they're gone. But he still wanted to pretend he was a good Christian, God-fearing college age man-child. So what does he do? He makes some fake ones. Some bronze ones. Now, surely, as you think of putting it into the context of today, thinking about anybody having golden shields is really weird, right? Or bronze shields, for that matter. But, but thinking about a child of the covenant raised in the church, going off to college and beginning to live in a way that totally rejects the faith of their fathers is not shocking, is it? Have we not seen this? It's not weird at all to think of a young man going to a frat party Saturday night until 3 a.m. and then rolling out of bed to make the late service at the nearest megachurch, right? I've seen it many times. What is that? Making sure you build yourself some bronze shields. That's what it is, right? Some of you are about to go off to college or are beginning to leave your father's and mother's homes. They have trained you up in the way you are to go. Do not depart from it. Do not lose your golden shields. Keep them. They are your treasure. Worship the Lord and they'll be safe. But I'm not picking on you, young men and women. I want us all to recognize the way that we will seek to grab on to things that will be a show of us not having given up. While we have indeed given up and lost what is precious, the faith of our fathers.
Sometimes it is parents pointing to the bronze shield that their child is still carrying around. Oh, you still got that shield. Right? Oh, I know he's still going to church. How is he living? Is there fruit of repentance in his life? Does he have faith? Or does he just have a bronze shield? For many other people, the bronze shield is this table here, the sacraments. Or baptism. Having lost the reality of spiritual life, having lost any claim of true repentance, nevertheless, take, eat. This is the body of Christ broken for you. I'm not doing this in remembrance of him. I'm doing this so that my sins can be forgiven. I'm doing this so I can have some sort of shield still. What use are bronze shields? They're for show. The glory is gone from Jerusalem. It's departed. If you want to follow in your father's footsteps, but you aren't willing to work If you want to follow in your father's footsteps, if you like what he created, if you like what he built, if you like what he established, if you like the home that he had, if you like the training that he provided, the provision that he has given. And in some ways, yes, I'm speaking in a way that you could Interpret me to be speaking of your heavenly father or of your earthly father, right? Or of some spiritual father to you. Many of us have fathers that are wicked, wicked men that, no, we don't look up to. No, we don't delight in the gifts that they have passed. In fact, if anything, they are the anti-type, right? The opposite. Showing us what we ought to be by being the wrong thing. But we all have a father. We all have a picture of what we should be. Whether it was because of that negative picture or whether it's because of a positive picture. And of course we have many pictures. Look around you. Look at the spiritual fathers that God has provided. See the glory of the things that God has brought about through His children and their work here on earth. The building of institutions that are meant to bring glory to Him and to to spread the gospel to the world. Of course, many times you know If you've listened to me, I have very little 
positive to say about parachurch organizations. Nevertheless, at least they wanted the gospel to go forth as they were establishing these works. Look at the churches that have been established. Faithful discipleship, proclamation of God's word, seeking to build his kingdom. The glorious fruit of souls saved, added to our number. Look at the things that God has wrought through faithful men down through the ages. Hospitals built. Schools started. Water for the thirsty. All in the name of Christ. Are these not good things? And yet, how quick, how easy, how sad the turn when now no longer is it water for the thirsty in the name of Christ. It's just water for the thirsty. No longer is the hospital any glory to God. It's just caring for people's bodies acting as if they don't have souls. You see the bronze shields? They're everywhere. Are you content with bronze shields? Shields that are for show? Fake glory? Meant to look like the glorious things that have been wrought in the past. Don't be content with bronze shields. Don't be content to have the glory of God departed. Seek His presence. Remember those first three years where all the people who were in the northern kingdom came to the southern kingdom because that was where true worship was happening. <gasps> but I'd have to move. <gasps> but all my friends, all my property. <sighs> I don't know if I'm ready to give that up. Right? It takes sacrifice to be seeking to build God's kingdom. The glory of what our parents, what our fathers in the faith, the glory of what they have done will fade and be lost if we are not constantly seeking to build on what they have done. True faith is the bedrock Otherwise, you are building nothing 
but bronze shields. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Who build it? And so, every day, it's a choice. Who you're worshiping? What are you worshiping? What are you glorifying? And it's not acceptable, it's not good enough to do it the fake way. with the fake shields. It doesn't matter how much you polish bronze. It's not gold. It's not precious. We must do the true work of repentance and looking to the Lord. And then, when you celebrate the Lord's Supper, what you have is true repentance. You come and you receive true spiritual blessing from the Lord instead of condemnation. Because that is what we receive when we fake it. So let us now prepare for that meal by praying. Heavenly Father, what a sad, sad story to read about Rehoboam. To read about the tribe of Judah and Benjamin and the fall away from worshiping you to worshiping idols. Father, help us to see the idols that are temptations to us in our life. To flee from sexual immorality. To fly to you and to true worship. Father, help us to turn away from faking our worship. Help us instead to be wholly devoted to you. Father, if we have lost our golden shields as discipline from you, Father, we pray that you would help us to humble ourselves so that we would turn in repentance back to you and receive whatever you have in your hand to give back to us. And Father, we know that that will be true blessing. Instead of pretending that we still have your blessing with these bronze shields that are all around us. Father, we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus who taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.